1: This is a headgum podcast. In eighty
0: six, M. Martin wrote the first book of what became
1: a cult. Now it's time, the Babysitter's Club. Club.
0: Guten Abend. Ah, Guten Tag, meine Freunde. Wie geht's? Uh, good, sehr gut. Yeah. Und du?
1: Dir uh, gut auch. Uh, verstehen Sie uh, Deutsch?
0: Uh, un poquito. <laughs>
1: Have we run out of all of your German?
0: At this <laughs> I've been point? using a lot of German the last couple of days, yeah. so my reserves
1: are pretty low. Um, Baby Nation Tanner is in Germany. He, we sent him on location.
0: Uh huh. Um. A, Unfortunately, I missed my target by about 200 miles. I am not in alt I am in
1: Mitte, Berlin. New Baby Bees, in case you missed it, Anne and Martin saw fit to disclose to us the zip code of the fictional Stony Brook. Yep. And in, it is not, in fact, a zip code in Connecticut. It is a postcode for a small town. About three mm-hmm. hours outside of Berlin, Germany, where Tanner currently the is. The state of Saxony. Where he's been flown out by what the kids call his side hustle. Main which hustle. Which a, yes. a, a major, major
0: media company that he, <laughs> he occasionally moonlights for. I am currently at a Holiday Inn Express. It's a little <laughs> boutique uh, hotel chain here in Berlin. Mm. As I was just showing Jack, out my hotel window is the
1: Altes Rathaus. Back to the scene of the crime. And um, what about if we introduce the show? Yes, please. Hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club Club. Club. I'm Jack Shepard. Ich bin Tanner Greenring. And every week, we read a different novel from the classic sitter's cycle by The Hand That Shakes, The Princess of the Prince of Town, St. Annabelle Matthews Martin, Stormborn, Soul Skinner, Mother of Clocks, and
0: Bane de Bass. Der, der... Mutter auf Zeit. Ah, yeah. It sounds more forbidding in German. It sounds like an opera.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Mutter auf Zeit. (laughs) She is the first of her name, the last of her kind, and the last hope for humankind. And this week, Tanner, we're going to be talking about a little book called The Secret Life of Marianne Spear. Tanner, let's discuss this novel. It was a novel that was ghostwritten by the Chief
0: Waniac herself. Suzanne, Suzanne
1: Wayne of the Wayne
0: clan I think it'd be a little egotistical if she were the chief waniac
1: well we're gonna we gotta find this chief waniac at some point because I want to talk yeah. to them and get some marching orders you They're know? out there because yeah.
0: I'm a waniac <laughs> Jack yeah I notice that your energy you're coming at me with an energy that is um, weird okay what time is it in Austin, Texas right now? One forty-two p.m. <laughs> that's a, that's what we call the afternoon energy.
1: I just had some tacos. And let me ask, is it a work day? Let's uh, not disclose whether or not it is. Let's also say, while we're talking about weird energy, that Daddy and Mommy and Cyril...
0: Yeah, uh, not, Tan- not Tanner Mommy, but... Sarah.
1: Sarah, mommy. mommy. Yeah. Yeah. Daddy Jack and mommy Sarah and baby Cyril spent eight hours at <laughs> an airport yesterday. Flying back from New York? Yeah. Our flight was delayed by eight hours. We arrived here at <laughs> 2.30 a.m. Fun.
0: Fun. Anyway, I'm a waniac. Bring, bring that zaniness to this episode, Jack. A
1: waniness I call it. And you know what
0: else? Zaniness. I'm what? a Suzanne man. You're a Suzanne man. Yeah. I like... Now, you just introduced a new term, yeah. a term of art waininess. for us waniacs, and it's waniness. Yeah. Waininess. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring some waniness to this episode because I am Suzanne in the Membuane. Yep. I'm Suzanne in the Buane. Jack. Yes. I want to talk about this book with you. So do I. Theory, colon, here's a note. Here's a note I have. Great. Theory, colon, Marianne is turning into a dragon. Okay. Discuss. Off to the races. <laughs> okay. Let's thoughts. Let's, let's look Just at the immediate thoughts on that. Um, elf, I would have accepted. Uh huh. Because she literally transforms into an elf in this. Immediate book. thoughts
1: on that. It would provide one explanation for the secret that is the novel entitled "The Fire at Marianne's House," which is yeah. the final <laughs> novel in this series. She
0: fell asleep on a pile of straw.
1: Yeah, yeah. She fell asleep on a on a. You pile know what of, happened? A
0: hoard of gold in her attic. Here's what happens, mm. is a weaver sneaks into her cave, mm-hmm. where she's sleeping on her hoard of gold, yeah. and uses the song from the loom mm-hmm. to transform the gold into straw, and the sleeping dragon ignites the straw and burns it, yeah, and flees the cave. That is literally one of the puzzles and a major plot point in the hit LucasArts game loom. Oh, well, unfortunately, we don't have time to delve into that. are you sure
1: i am i'm certain but it does seem that loom only comes up in marianne books (laughs) maybe it's suzanne okay well hang on so this is one explanation of the final book but we need a little more than that i don't have any evidence for why she might be
0: turning into a dragon oh she's hoarding treasure
1: oh she is
0: yeah, she spends the first chapter of the book just collecting treasure. Yeah, on her dad's credit card. Yeah, it's nuts. She gets this what we call in Germany Geldlust. Ah, uh, yeah, Geldlust. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty
1: wild. And we've never seen this side of Marianne before either. She just gets this glow in her eyes. Even Stacy, who's like goes out shopping with her is like, "Oh man, I don't that might be a little bit too
0: much, Marianne." Yeah. Everyone is kind of like, Marianne, are you sure you should be spending that much? Richard gives her his credit card. Yeah. And she just goes buck wild. She goes fucking crazy. The only evidence that she's not turning into a dragon that I can think of is that she's hoarding her treasure to give to other people for Christmas because this is a Christmas book. That's how you turn into a dragon traditionally is you hoard treasure first.
1: To give away as gifts? You're, it's No, I was going to say it's your avarice and your greed and your hoarding right. that can sometimes create a dragon. That's what happens in
0: the novel Voyage of the Dawn Treader by Clive Staples Lewis. Christian Science Lewis. Yep. <laughs> That's the only evidence I can find. Okay against the theory that she's turning into a dragon it's a generousness not avarice is her motivation everything else definitely points to her turning into a dragon let me throw another theory at
1: you while we're throwing theories at each other okay here's a happy reading just a quick section from the happy reading section one memorable summer when i was about nine i suddenly realized that my parents anniversary was just two weeks away and i didn't have enough money to buy them a present so i talked my friend beth into holding a backyard carnival with me the money that i earned at the carnival was spent on a gift from my parents anna martin tanner we've always kind of
0: joked about the b plots in these novels Anne's life is a beat plot (laughs) yeah she's like planning kid festivals like she runs out of money and she's like oh we gotta throw a carnival (laughs) I've never run out of money and thought (laughs) how can I get all the local children to give me their old shitty toys
1: I'm saving up to buy the NES super system with the gun and the one that comes with duck hunt what if we throw a giant parade throughout the town (laughs)
0: Also, have you ever once bought your parents an anniversary gift? mm That's not normal, right? I once put on a play for my parents for their anniversary. I wrote oh, and performed nice. a play for my parents. I'm a child of multiple divorces, so... Yeah. Anniversaries are, you know,
1: they're a dime a dozen. Maybe that's why. Maybe if you put a little bit more effort into celebrating your parents' oh, anniversaries, God. they would have stayed They always can. said yeah. it was my fault,
0: yeah. but <laughs> now I realize that it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Tanner, what about if we describe this novel? I'm fine with it. I will brook no resistance. Great. I was
1: thinking maybe I could take a run at it, and then if there's anything left out, I could put 60 seconds on a big bad clock that I happen to have handy, and then uh, you can take a run at it.
0: It sounds like you're saddling me with a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Because you often don't hit very much of the actual plot of the book, so that leaves a lot of it up to me. I feel confident that I got a lot of it this time. Did you? Yes. You're just going to have to kind of
1: color in the details. Okay. Like the way I think about it is I do the sketch, the line drawing, you know, yeah, that kind of gives right. people a picture of the book, and then you color it in. Yeah. Bring it to life with your work You know how
0: people go to museums to to look at sketches? Sometimes. Like, they go to the Louvre, and they're like, oh, look at this beautiful sketch of the Mona Lisa painted Sometimes. by Leonardo da Vinci.
1: Yeah. You know
0: how- That is familiar to you, that idea?
1: No, but let me run another idea by you. You know how often really, truly great painters will draw the outline of their painting and then have people from their their students come in and just like fill in the colors? I don't know that. No, that doesn't sound familiar. I made it up, but (laughs) 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 I needed something. Go ahead, Jack. Let's hear your sketch. Okay. Let's hear your outline. I'm going to describe this novel. Then we'll have the master come in. Okay, fine. And, and we'll do have his the master. good work. You're the Albrecht Durer. Actually, I'm the Durer in this case. I'm the draftsman. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I'm the. You're just like Durer's teenage son who comes in and like scribbles crayon on his fucking beautiful rabbit.
0: I don't know what the, I don't know what any of that means.
1: Albrecht Durer, you're in Germany right now.
0: <laughs> Should I go find him?
1: Yeah, he's the one of the greatest <laughs> draftsmen. Tanner.
0: I'll open up the balconies to my hotel. <laughs> um,
1: I am going to describe this novel. Okay. You ready? Yes. I'm going to begin now. Marianne Spear is a normal girl in a normal town, dealing with the normal issues that everyone her age faces. Fighting with her sister, struggling to balance her after-school job with her social life, worrying about her relationship with her stepmother. In fact... The only difference between Mary Ann and the other normal girls in her normal town is that when no one else is looking, Mary Ann puts on a mask and dances with the elves. When all her normal friends are busy with each other, Mary Ann takes counsel with her elven friends, sings their songs, breaks bread with them. When all her normal friends are looking the other way, Mary Ann is walking the path that is set aside for the elven folk. Marianne Speer Spear is a normal girl in a normal town, but there's nothing remotely normal about her secret life in the winter world, where the only thing she has to worry about is making sure that no one in her normal world ever discovers her secret. The Secret Life of Mary Ann Spear I uh, loved it. Good. Tanner wasn't paying any attention. I think he was playing a game on his iPhone.
0: I was sort of paying attention, and I loved how you made it sound like a Christian Science Lewis book. <laughs> Stands for Clive Staples. She's like Tumnus, Sir Tumnus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wandering through the winterlands. Yeah. A lot of elves in this book. A lot of elves, including Marianne, yeah. which I will discuss in my description starting now. No, I, I start you. I start you. I
1: love your enthusiasm, and I don't want to. Thought step I could. The way I thought
0: it. I could preempt you. and okay. get a few, Juice a few extra seconds out of you.
1: Do it. I'll tell you what. I'll give you a five second head start. Okay. All right. I'm going to put sixty 65 seconds on this. Five seconds on this. I'm going to put sixty clock. seconds on this. Sixty five seconds. I'm going to put sixty seconds on this big bad clock, but I won't start the clock until you've been talking for five seconds. Why don't you begin now?
0: Okay, Marianne Speer Spear um, needs to get a job because she spent too much money on her dad's credit card on Christmas gifts for everyone. It's a very contrived and bad plot point to start the book, but the book gets better from there, so worry not. Baby Nation, uh, she gets a job as an elf at the Winter Village, not being held this year by the department store that usually holds it, but by Washington Mall at large um she needs to keep it a secret because you have to be 16 to get the job and she lies on her application and says she's 13 so she decides to keep it a secret from everyone while she is there she meets this girl called angela angela who is also a young woman who needs part-time employment seasonal employment she discovers that Angela is living in a women's shelter because she's estranged from her parents. Uh, meanwhile, Dawn is home, and she's acting weird, but it turns out that she's only acting weird because Marianne's acting weird because Marianne's so busy with her part-time job, and in the end, everything is fine. And time. Uh, good. I loved it. Great
1: description. Fantastic. Except
0: I skipped like the last half of the book, but it's okay.
1: There's a B-plot. I don't want to call it the B-plot, because there are these two associated plots. One, which is this girl, Angela, and one, which is Dawn's estrangement from Marianne. But there's like a boilerplate B-plot, which, Uh, uh, look. GCBSF
0: B-plot. I'm a waniac, but it's garbage. Yeah, the B-plot was pretty weak this week. It was just nothing. That Dr. Johansson, Charlotte's mom, runs a charity for underprivileged children where they donate toys but the hospital this year didn't have the funds to do it so christy decides to hold a fundraiser christy was like "Well, fucking do it how do you make any money for your
1: business christy yeah all the charities that they have saved in stony brook in the last 100 books yeah if she had taken those fundraisers and just used them to like build capital for her burgeoning business yeah. she'd be like a fucking magnate by now <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very sccroogean stance you've taken, Jack. like remember when they they' rebuilt a school for like yeah. the for the Zunis for the Zunis?
1: what else yes. they' saved this charity? It's not just that they like, oh, let's do a book and you drive. think
0: you think instead they should be hoarding this money for themselves yes, I think to they build should be- a babysitting empire.
1: This is the number one rule of building a business is you need to build capital. This is the number one rule of being a dragon. You build capital.
0: You sleep on it. get money in. You get investment. You protect it from dwarves. You make profit. You burn villages. (laughs) If they establish themselves too closely to your treasure (laughs) horde. And once you have enough. men of Dale. Once you've acquired enough, you sit on it. Yeah. And you sit on it. And build some walls around it. And when the dwarves come back to claim their rightful home, you burn them to a you fucking burn them crisp. To death and their yes. hobbit friend. <laughs> yes. Um
1: but Christy hasn't learned that lesson yet, which is why she's never gonna be you don't start your business by being like, the first thing we're gonna do is give away all our money to charity. It's
0: like, so I
1: agree. You do charity
0: later to get a tax break. It is a shaky C plot. Yeah. And of the 160 pages that make up this book, I would honestly say about 15 of those pages are dedicated to this C-plot. Yeah. Like, it is pretty inconsequential. Yeah. But also, it's a bad scheme. Yeah. Because her whole scheme is collect food and toy donations. Yeah. And use those food and toy donations to throw a winter carnival Right, where the food is served as food. And the toys are given out as prizes, but of course everyone gives shitty food. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, I haven't used this pie filling in three years. <laughs> yeah. like, I'll give that." Yeah, and all the kids give broken toys.
1: Yeah, I wonder so, if there's like the long-suffering citizens of Stony Brook are like, like Mister Prezioso's like, "Hey, there's a great boys' basketball game tonight, honey," and she's like, "Uh, really bad news, <laughs> uh, Christie's uh." hosting a thing where they serve pie filling and give out broken toys and <laughs> we just have
0: to fucking go mr prezioso's like can we just donate a toy and it's like no <laughs> we have to donate a toy and eat pie filling yeah. <laughs> expired pie filling this is prezioso's like
1: so i picked out that basketball that you had in your garage that's signed by someone called
0: M- Mikhail jordan or something <laughs> anyway I-, I gave that to the thing Some eastern european player <laughs> but like you could just get the parents to donate toys, Christy. <laughs> yeah, cut out the fucking middleman. You don't man. have to do the scheme <laughs> with the pie filling and the broken toys. Oh, It was bad. It was a bad seed plot. I like this book. I don't want to say that I didn't like this book. The setup was a little contrived, but it was yeah. fine. Well, Suzanne was given
1: this week a great honor by Ann M. Martin and the powers that be that I'm surprised that Peter Loran was passed over for this honor, but it's meaningful that it was given to Suzanne. Let me read you this passage. Hello, Mrs. Newton. As I focused on the words before me, I was vaguely aware of Stacy's voice. I'm going to sit for... Wait, I shouted. At the last moment, I'd concentrated enough to spot something I'd overlooked. Stacy, I said. Aren't you supposed to see the Christmas show at Radio City Music Hall with your father that day? Oh, my Lord stacy gasped you're right i forgot she excused herself apologizing and told mrs newton she'd have to call back again mary ann she cried as she hung up sorry i said sorry my friends were staring at me with surprised expressions so i made a mistake i said at least it proves you're human jesse offered of course i'm human well, that actually kind of let's little... to your dragon theory.
0: Yeah, she's being a little too quick to defend herself. Uh, yeah. Of course, I'm human. <laughs> of course, I'm human. <laughs> what else would I be—a dragon, an elf? I don't. <laughs> Just a regular human sitting on this
1: pile of gold, <laughs> burning a dwarf or two. Um, but the passage Tanner is a passage that I have been waiting for for almost. 100 books okay you maybe don't know this because you skip the chapter twos all the time yeah but it is the deepest lore on par with the lore that christy is always on time to meetings right marianne never never makes a mistake in the record book she never being on
0: time to meetings was also shook to its called into question this week the wow. closest Christie has ever come to not being on time for a meeting happened in this book.
1: Well, so do you think th- – I feel like Suzanne probably had to go to the Leviathan himself to get permission to change these two
0: major – You think David Leviathan – sorry, I'm going to crack open a bit of beer. Ugh, with a spoon. Ugh, <laughs> I don't have a beer opener, a bottle opener <laughs> in my hotel room. Well, it, like,
1: can could I, could I just say that you made so much more noise – shouting about it than (laughs) just the actual act of cracking it open at first i I was like oh that's really nice normally tanner just like makes noises into the mics that i have to edit around it's really nice that you're like giving me a signal that you're cracking open a beer but no you're giving me a signal because you wanted to shout for two minutes
0: (laughs) all i have is this (laughs) spoon to open beers with (laughs) it's the german way okay Leviathan. Christy was almost late. The Leviathan. Yeah. Do you think she needs to go to the Leviathan for that kind of permission? She got If you're going to make that kind of a change, right? If you're going to make a substantial
1: change, like the, an, an equivalent would be like if if you wanted to write a book where it turned out that Stacy actually wasn't born in New York, she was born in like Jersey City or something. Yeah. Oh, like God, if you wanted can you to imagine? do. Oh, yeah, no fucking way. <laughs> or like Marianne's mom's still alive. You know, like something that just like changes the fabric. <laughs> You gotta go. You gotta like walk down into that weird fucking basement beneath the Scholastic building in New York. Yeah. And like you can, you're allowed to hold a candle aloft, but that's it. But
0: it casts no light. You do it for your own comfort. Yeah. All you can sense is that you are in a large, pitch black chamber. There's the drip of water somewhere in the far distance. And the
1: only way you know which direction to go is you feel a presence.
0: Yeah. And then when you're there, you know it. And you'll never remember it. It's not even like body heat, it's not like you feel a heat coming from somewhere, it's actually the opposite. It's a chill. It's
1: that feeling like when you think someone's watching. It's yeah. like a prick
0: like a prickling in the back of your neck.
1: You walk towards the presence, you kneel, yeah. you put the candle in front of you and you say something like I want Mary to make her mistake
0: and then you don't you don't hear an answer. You don't hear anything. But the next day the next day you're sitting at your desk, and yeah. the courier comes by and he drops a black marble off at your desk. <laughs> yeah, and that means your request is approved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so powerful stuff for Suzanne to be allowed to do. Yeah, well now she has one of those black marbles from the Leviathan. You know how much those are worth? Oh my God! Yeah, no one knows where they come from. Another? Di- Does he make them from his body? <laughs> I think. Are they from another certainly. dimension? Yeah, <laughs> it's impossible to say. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) scientists have analyzed them and it's just like no known substance on earth matches it looks like it's liquid it looks like it's liquid like it it feels like it's moving around but it's also like so heavy like hard to lift. heavy and solid as a rock
1: yeah here's another weird thing that happened in this book that Shed some kind of a weird light on the inner workings of Anne and the extraordinary League of Ghostwriters and the Leviathan and all these characters who are kind of lurking behind the scenes.
0: Uh One of
1: the lessons of the like the big lessons of this novel for Marianne is that she like took on too much, right? She like she she, like took this extra job um, being an elf so she could make money to pay off her like hoarded dragon's gold, right? And the lesson learned at the end is like, oh, like I shouldn't have taken on so much stuff. I shirked my BSC duties. I didn't spend enough time with Dawn. From now on, I'm not going to take on too much stuff. This is the one lesson that they can never learn. Cast your mind back to the novel, Christy for President. She took on too much work. Cast your mind back to the novel we recently read, Christy and the Sister War, and what happened to Shannon Kilborn. She took on too much... That was, like, two books ago. Cast your mind back to the novel Stacey McGill, Super Sitter. Too much work. She took on too much work. These girls learn and grow,
0: but they never learn and grow in this particular area. I can't tell what kind of propaganda this is. Yeah. (laughs) That Anne and the ghostwriters are pulling. Like I can't tell if they're saying, like, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, or if they're saying, like, be a hardworking comrade. For the revolution. I think what it is, is Anne wants to put these messages in the book, but she
1: hypocritically, or somewhat hypocritically, she needs their industry. She feeds off of it. She needs these yeah. girls to be working their fingers to the bone. She can, right. Like, the more they do it, the more it gives her power. I think Anne's just a fan of the good, healthy work-life balance. But why won't she allow the girls to learn this lesson? <sighs> Like you'd think that Marianne would have learned the lesson from Stacy McGill Super Sitter. She was there. She watched it happen. She was one of the people who was like, "Stacy, you took on too many jobs." Right. You know, or when Christie ran for president, Marianne Stacy didn't
0: have. I, you know what I think Anne was teaching us about this week was mm. the dangers of debt. Okay. She was teaching the young girls of 1997, like, "Hey, it's going to be really tempting Credit to spend cards. all your money on Nintendo Switch games." Yeah. But at the end of the month, you're going to get a little bill in the mail that says you owe $3,000 in <laughs> Nintendo Switch games, and you're like, yeah. oh, what? How yeah. did I rack up $3,000 worth of Nintendo Switch games? Is that uh, There's a very specific reference? No, it's, uh, it's all hypothetical, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. I definitely don't owe 3000 <laughs> The Switch games? Tanner, why are you
1: sitting on a large pile of Nintendo Switch games? <laughs> you can't have them!
0: Get out of here, dwarf!
1: Elves and dwarves this week, baby nation. Elves and dwarves and gnomes? Is they're gnomes, too. I want to talk to you about the gnomes and the dwarves and the elves in the winter world. But first, I think that we should take a quick break. Okay. Do you want to j- go ahead and just say goodbye and then I'll kind of hit pause and then we can go.
0: uh saying, <laughs> Goodbye! Tschüssi! This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp! Hmm. What would I do with an extra hour in my day? Very interesting question, BetterHelp. Hello, everyone. This is Evil Tanner. I'm Like regular Tanner, except evil. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, has put a little prompt here in the copy for us. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? My own website, which only exists on the dark web, of course, uh, wetterhelp.com, could use a little help. So I would probably use that hour to do a whole bunch, like just flood Facebook with one like, one prayer. Please go donate to my GoFundMe. I need to bring my website, wetterhelp.com, back from the brink betterhelp.com they feel like there's a little bit of uh infringement i said well you know we're on the dark web you guys are on the surface web our whole thing is like getting people wet who don't want to be wet so it's like stepping in a puddle or like sitting on a bench that's wet that's us like that's what we do share this with a friend one like one prayer i will follow through on the like prayer stuff too i will be praying all night i would use today's sponsor betterhelp.com um of course i can't i am evil tanner i can only use the deep web we do have a deep web version of betterhelp.com it's called worsehelp.com it's not good but i think betterhelp.com is great from everything i've heard
1: Um, let's talk about this winter world, man. The winter world. The winter world. The world of eternal
0: winter. First there was the Bright Universe, starring Will Smith and Joel Egerton, based on the hit Netflix original motion picture, Bright. Mm-hmm. Then there was the Dark Universe. Mm-hmm. And now, the winter world. The winter world, which straddles the boundary
1: between both of those universes. Tanner and Marianne works this week to pay off her debt, she works as an elf in the Winter World. Uh-huh. The Winter World has been introduced to us before. It was introduced to us in a novel called Happy Holidays, Jesse, which you may right. remember. I remember. Um, that year it was being hosted in Lear's department store. This year it's being hosted in Washington Mall. Yep. But the Winter World is a staple it tra- of The, the
0: portal travels.
1: Yeah. The and portal into the Winter World.
0: Here is how
1: I will jog your memory. We talked about it at the time. Here is how Jesse describes the winter world. I've always wondered what exactly is in that area of Lear's during the rest of the year. No one seems to know. Personally, I think it becomes a pocket of antimatter, invisible to the human eye. But later for that.
0: But later for that.
1: So we know that the winter world, when it appears in these novels, is more than just a world of eternal winter. Right. Uh, it is the space between worlds. It is the space between the dark and the bright universe, starring Will Smith and Joel Edgerton. Joel
0: Edgerton, or Edgerton.
1: Uh, new Baby Bees, Depending we're not on, going to tell you why you're bees, it. and we're also not going to tell you about the dark timeline at this point.
0: And just to clarify... Yeah, doesn't matter how Joel Edgerton says his own name. It could be Edgerton or Edgerton.
1: But so I thought it was interesting that Suzanne should decide to venture back into this space between worlds again and set an entire novel called The Secret Life of Marianne Spear. In this space with its elves, its gnomes, here's something that Angela says. I arrived at the mall in time to change with the earlier shift of elves, the ancient gnomes, Angela called them giggling mischievously. It might not have been a nice thing to call them, but it was hard not to laugh. Most of the days, elves were retired people. The ancient gnomes. The ancient gnomes. Another
0: fantastic race.
1: Another fantastic race. And Tanner, did you happen to catch Marianne's terrifying and portentous dream about the winter world?
0: Mm, yes. Would
1: you like for me to read it to you?
0: I would like you to read it because I didn't capture it. Oh. I read it.
1: I definitely read it. You're like, that's interesting. Hope, hope Jack captures it, you hope, said to yourself. Hope so. Jack captures that. <laughs> Man, that would be a, probably a pretty good thing to talk about when we delve into the lore of this novel. <laughs> sure hope Jack captures it.
0: I got to tell you, Jack.
1: Yeah, please do. Can
0: I interrupt for a moment? Sure. I think the recording from Germany and Austin thing is going to be an issue, and I'll explain why in a moment after I'm done eating this broat.
1: Okay. Is it because you're gonna, you're eating broat while we record?
0: It's because it's fully 9.30 p.m. at night here. <laughs> uh-huh. And I've had several Rothaus Pils Tarenzapfels. Yeah. With because the sh- it's the evening. Yep. It's the leisure hour.
1: Yeah. You're on your third piece of Brot.
0: I'm on my third piece of Brot. Yeah. With vegetarisch Pommesche schnittellauch <laughs> on it. Uh-huh. And I think my looseness levels
1: yeah. are here. Uh, uh-huh. he's showing um, a high high level with his hand.
0: And your looseness numbers are here.
1: He's showing a low level with his other hand,
0: which I think works. I think it works for our dynamic. Uh-huh. But I worried that I worry that my looseness level yeah, is exponentially outpaced. <laughs> I'm pretty buttoned up. I'm taking us through my outline. I know, but you got to keep piece. me on
1: task and keep me from eating Brot on mic. <laughs> All right, don't eat brought on mic. Let me read this passage about the dream. You collect your thoughts. Okay. Try to put yourself back in the heady days of when it was uh, earlier in the day. Your looseness levels were uh, within... High and tight. High and tight. Nice L- and low controllable. And, tight. Um, yeah. and you read that passage, and you had thoughts about it, um, and then respond to me with those thoughts after I've read it. This is a dream that Marianne has about the winter world, the liminal space that marks the fulcrum of all of our diverging universes, in particular, the dark timeline and the bright timeline. He can't say starring Will Smith and Joel Edgerton, Baby Nation, because he starring just took a big Anderson. mouthful of broth. <laughs> After talking to Dawn, I hit the bed and was instantly involved in the weirdest dream. That's a weird way of saying that. I was involved in the weirdest dream. Normally, you have a dream.
0: No. If you were involved in a she dream... She has no ownership over her dreams. Somebody involved her in a dream. Right. Someone. She went through the wardrobe, and now she's
1: involved in a dream. They were, like, dancing around yeah, in their dream space. Right. And one of the revelers turned to the other and said,
0: Let's involve Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> and they bring her into their sick, twisted waltz. <laughs> And she cannot escape from. I hit the bed and was instantly involved in the weirdest
1: dream. The seven dwarfs came to my house and demanded all my Christmas purchases back because I couldn't pay for them. They marched into the house and took them from under the tree. I chased them out into the front yard where I met Angela dressed as Snow White. She was crying because the wicked queen was after her. I looked up in the sky and saw Miss Cherassi, who is her boss... But in this dream, she is the wicked queen. I saw Miss Charassi, dressed as a witch, flying overhead on a broom. Grabbing Angela's hand, I rushed back to the house, but the door was locked. I peered through the front window and could see Dawn inside. And though I frantically rapped on the glass, she wouldn't let me
0: in. Does Charassi mean anything in any language? It looks Italian, I guess. I'm just like, I'm... Trying to dig a little deeper into these names. Yeah. Angela is obvious. Yeah. The angel.
1: The angel. And she's described as an angel when she's first introduced. I looked up at her. She was petite, about 16, with short, frizzy red hair, framing her face like a kind of halo. Her flawless skin and fine features were so delicate, she would have reminded me of an angel. Except that her bright green eyes were rimmed with smudgy makeup. So Angela is very obviously the angel in this scenario. Well, what And Charassi is a witch. She is the wicked ice queen of the winter world Right in the dream and later is described as the ice queen of winter world by Angela and Marianne when they're making fun of her. She is this right. larger-than-life character uh, who presides over this liminal space between universes.
0: She doesn't treat you with any kind of respect or humanity. She just casts her wicked gaze upon you. Yeah. Every now and then, and you know whether or not you have been judged? Yes. Based on a look. Even when Miss Terassi dismisses them from their seasonal work, she offers no goodbyes. It's not sentimental at all. She's just like, here's your last paycheck. Turns, 180, walks away. Here's the only thing I have for Terassi.
1: Tarasi was a human female who is one of the leaders of the Young, a youth organization that brought a halt to the civil war between the Melida and the Dan on the planet Malida Dan. During the war the group helped her group helped the Jedi Qui-Gon Jinn and his Padawan Obi-Wan Kenobi to
0: <laughs> rescue Jack. What? Qui-Gon. That was Qui-Gon. a very funny joke you just did. <laughs> where you mispronounced Qui-Gon Jinn's name. <laughs> Obviously (laughs) and exaggeratedly and comically mispronounced Qui-Gon Jinn's name.
1: I don't consider those movies to be canon, Tanner.
0: Well, you should. Have you seen Solo yet? No, is it good? It's actually really good. I want to see it. (laughs) I (laughs) loved it. It's really good, but there's a spoiler at the end of the movie that makes all of the prequels extra canon. Oh, no. Not just the prequels, but like all the cartoons as well. Fucking Qui-Gon, man.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, nothing there. Karassi or Tarasi. I'm on a name meaning website. I don't know. I don't. I think that I think that Suzanne and Anne have given us everything that we need to know. We don't
0: need to, to go searching elsewhere. She's the ice it's just, it's, queen it's, it's, of the uh, winter world. The only reason I bring it up is because Angela is such a clear signal, yeah. to us, right? Like we will deliver you angelic descriptions of this girl, and we will call her Angela, right? So to then give us. Chirasi, it feels like they're trying to say something to us, and I'm, I'm a little suspect that there's nothing there.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair, and we should look further into it, but I just realized something from this passage, Tanner, that supports your dragon theory. Okay. Marianne's dream that she's involved in. After talking to Dawn, I hit the bed and was instantly involved in the weirdest dream. The seven dwarfs came to my house and demanded oh my all God. my Christmas purchases back because
0: I couldn't pay for them. Of course, they came for her hoard. They came for her hoard. The dwarves came for her hoard. Yeah, Jack. The dwarves all came. Dwallin. Yeah. Balin. Was Thorin? Feely. Feely. Yeah. Dory. Nori. Ori. Oin. <laughs> Glowin. They all came to her in, in her dream. Wow. To claim her treasure. And their little Trixie. Ah, oh, Trixie Little Hobbit. Hobbit friend. Yeah. Bilbo Baggins. Wow. Baby Nation, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the hit Christian Science Lewis book. Yeah. The Lion, the Hobbit, and the Wardrobe. Uh-huh. By J.K. Rowling. By J.K. Rowling. Yep.
1: So, I don't have too much more for you on this winter world, except to say that it is populated by portents and dreams and by this incredible cast of characters beyond anything we've ever seen in factions. Gnomes, witches,
0: ghosts, the ice fucking queen herself. And um, the elder gods. And these seven... And what? And the elder gods. Uh, The elder gods and their ancient rituals. Like Cthulhu? It could be any of them. Would you care to... Uh, Anyone from the Pantheon. Yeah. <laughs> Angela's not specific here.
1: Oh, oh, okay. There's
0: a passage. There's Dagon. There's yeah the yellow god. Mm-hmm. There's any number of elder gods. Angela is Marianne's new friend. Mm-hmm. She's a troubled youth. She was kicked out of her home. By her mean, mean parents. By her mean, mean parents. Mm-hmm. Angela's living in a women's shelter mm-hmm. in Stony Brook. And Marianne asks why she's there. Uh Angela says, it's only temporary. My parents kicked me out. I was shocked all over again. What for? Just for being me, she answered with a bitter laugh. They don't like my clothes or my makeup or the way I choose to live my life. I think they figured out that if they threw me out, I'd come back and do things their way. I can't, though. What's their way, I asked. The respected ancient practice, Mm. she said. Speaking as though she were some kind of guru. Huh. All you have to do is be friends with only white middle-class kids. Shop at only the right snooty stores. And think country club activities are the height of human civilization. And you, too, can live the way of the snob. I haven't heard of the Elder God Snob. Oh, okay. I assume it's some kind of terrible fish-like monster who's too gruesome to behold. And if If you gaze upon his visage, you were driven mad
1: more than a hundred tentacles, less than a hundred fifty, but definitely too many fucking tentacles, too many tentacles, yeah. right, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: Snob, snub he's called snub, snub, the, S-N-O-B. The, the way of the snub, the way of the snub. wow, and this is one of the, this is the ancient practice, so we have to add
1: cultists
0: to our list of factions hanging out in Stony Brook nowadays. I just kind of assume that. The forces of good, the dwarves, the hobbits, the elves, the the men of Ro Rohim yeah. are fighting against this ancient evil. I think the ancient evil takes a lot of different forms depending on like what age we're in. The third age obviously it was Mordor and Sauron. I think yeah. now it's it's Snob
1: Snob. I'm just trying to see if there are any Elder Gods who fit the description.
0: So this Elder God wants you to only hang out with white, middle-class kids, only shop at snooty stores, and only be into country club activities. So lawn bowling, tennis, golf...
1: Could it be Yog who is coterminous with all time and space, yet is supposedly locked outside of the universe we inhabit?
0: Yogg-Sothoth is the one with all the eyeballs? I'm seeing a lot of fucking
1: tentacles. Yeah. Just a
0: lot. Do you think in the Sitterverse, Yogg-Sothoth is just called Snub? Snub. Yeah. Well, that's terrifying. And, I don't know, we're we leading towards something? I think there's good and there's evil. You know, this <laughs> yeah. is classic storytelling. There's yeah. the forces of good and there's the forces of evil. I think you did a good job of illuminating the forces of good in this universe. Right. You know? And I think we're at risk of losing Marianne to the forces of evil, the forces of Snope, the ancient ones. Yeah. If she is, like, her very dragon nature is tempted by these dark forces. Right. But who knows? Maybe the dwarves of this world, maybe the gnomes can win her back. Maybe (sighs) maybe Angela, her protector, her guardian angel, the one who turned away from Snope and his dark forces. Well, I think it's notable... In this dream
1: that Marianne reaches out to Dawn to be oh, saved,
0: sure. yeah, and yeah, yeah. Dawn
1: refuses to let her in. Yeah. I wonder if that's just because Dawn has escaped to the California diaries.
0: I think so. She's like... It's it's, it's a thing that once you go to the Grey Havens, you right. can't come back. I can't come back. You can be a guardian. You can be an elder. You can provide wisdom and advice, but you can't help. Right. It's also notable that Suzanne and Anne referred to Dawn as Dawn the White this entire book. I noticed that, yeah. Yeah. And she had been
1: Dawn the Grey before, which didn't make sense, but now it kind of does.
0: Yeah. Uh, It was always weird in the chapter twos. It was like, Christy's short and she's such a boss and uh, Claudia Kishi is such a unique dresser and Abby's such a jokester and Dawn the Grey is so wise. Dawn the Grey, the first of the five... Great ones, yeah, yeah. It is weird, Woo, baby nation. Yeah, I hope that you have read all of Tolkien's books, all of C.S. Lewis's books, and all of H.P. Lovecraft's Mesos. books this week yeah. because you are going to need it to keep up. Yeah, and
1: if it will help, if you've played the uh, hit LucasArts uh, '90s game Loom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which I assume you have because we've yeah. discussed it before <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah well if you haven't let me ask you this why are you listening to a loom podcast
0: <laughs> oh yeah. jack yeah Actually, I have terrible news for you let me
1: ask let me ask a better question baby nation I mean loom heads <laughs> loom nation why do you tolerate us talking so much about the babysitters club series in this loom podcast
0: yeah. Get to the point, boys. (laughs) You're always like (laughs) tutting at us. Well, Jack, I have more disturbing and esoteric lore to get into. Oh,
1: good. Perfect.
0: I thought, when you said, well, Jack, I thought, oh, Tanner's going to save us from this
1: deep (laughs) lore that requires knowledge of a number of different series of fantasy and horror other texts to understand. Um, But instead, you're going to plunge us deeper Uh, while we're here now. I can sense the chilly presence of the Leviathan himself. He's sitting there kind of somewhere in the outer reaches of my consciousness, like, you're on the right track, but don't fucking,
0: don't say anything that I have forbidden. Well, I will plunge us deeper into these horror-filled waters Mm -hmm. by introducing a new segment Okay, that we don't have an actual, like, lead-up to. We just call it... track and jackie track and jackie we have to go back track and jackie babies and gentlemen we have to go back track and jackie jackie is back in a big way in the last few books mm-hmm. it's like all the ghostwriters remembered that jackie was around and he a fun had been few. forgotten a fun character
1: he had been erased i think apart from the entity who like you can't pull that kind of a glamour on right the rest of the ghostwriters had had temporarily, for reasons known only to Anne and the Leviathan himself, that had Jackie basically erased from their memory banks. Whenever they put pen to paper to try to write about him, they suddenly realized they'd forgotten something in the other room and came back, and they're like, oh, I wonder what the Pike kids are up to this week.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It was always the Pikes. For so long, it was always the Pikes. Yeah. But But the last few books, it's been Jackie, much to our admittedly chagrin, because we then need to explore... (laughs) The universe of the Time Walker, Jackie Radowski. But this week, Oh, this week. Suzanne and Anne made it so they they were just like signaling us so hard. So yep. hard, in fact, Baby yep. Nation, that before we started recording, Jack was like, the track and Jackie was obvious this week, right? Yep. And I said yes. And we did yep. not discuss what it was, but we, we were about to for the first time. We
1: have not discussed what it was together. So it's gonna be fucking hilarious if we both read a
0: different tale into what happened to Jackie Rudowski. except i just uh, have to assume we have yeah. not well, because may it's, I May it's, I read the passage? Yeah. But no, no I, I was finish just your, say Finish be, your thought.
1: Because it's all in the fucking text. And it's... Yep. Suzanne and Anne put it in here. Um, I feel like we owe it to the new baby bees, not to explain to them why they are bees, but to explain to them briefly what Track and Jackie is. It is a segment oh, yeah, where we track Jackie Rudowski's Adventures Through Time. Jackie Rudowski seems like a normal boy, but he's not. Every time he clumsily trips and falls, which he does often, he actually falls throughout space and time uh, into another universe where he lives out a life and then blips back into the reality a second later causing an accident we know this from countless books Uh, we also know that the life that he lives in the parallel universe is influenced in some way by the events that are
0: happening to him in stony brook this poor fucking boy yep may i read the passage here and then we'll discuss what we suspect has happened to jackie this week please so to set this up this is the c plot the scheme In which, God, I hope we're on the same page here. I'd be shocked if we weren't, Tanner. (laughs) Where they receive broken toys, Mm -hmm. and they are sifting through them with some of the local babies Mm -hmm. of Stony Brook to see which are viable toys for donation, Mm -hmm. which are sub-viable toys for prizes, and which are essentially like garbage.
1: Yeah, they're doing what we call in
0: the business toy triage. Toy triage. So they've got a pile of toys that they bring into Santa's workshop, which is Abby's yeah. kitchen, where they're going to try to fix them up, refurbish them to turn them into viable toys. One of the toys that they discover is a bunch of blocks, wooden blocks mm-hmm. for building. And Abby is convinced that she and Shay Radowski, Jackie's little brother, can sand them down and that Jackie and Christy can paint them. Yep. With the help of Becca Ramsey and Jesse Ramsey. So I read this passage. Archie and Jackie began dabbing one another with the paintbrushes. Cool it, dudes, Abby said, but they continued doing it under the table where they thought she couldn't see them. The sandpaper isn't working, Shay complained. Abby found him another piece, and when she returned to the table, Jackie was gone. He popped up on the other side of the table, with the smaller pieces from the block set stuck to his head. Hey, look at me. I'm a blockhead. Archie dissolved into giggles. Becca and Shay rolled their eyes. Did you glue those to your head? Abby asked. Yeah, Jackie replied happily. He danced around the kitchen with the blocks bobbing on his head. Mr. Blockhead, I'm Mr. Blockhead, he sang. Jackie tossed his head back and forth. And a block flew from his hair and hit Becca in the cheek. Ow! She shouted. Ow! 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 She began to cry.
1: I don't say this lightly because what happens to Jackie when he travels through time is almost always tragic and dark. But this may be the darkest experience that Jackie Radowski has yet. On the Stony Brook side of things, which is what Tanner read to you, Baby Nation, it is clear that... They're just having some fun with blocks. Jackie glued some blocks to his head. He shook his head around and he hit Becca on the cheek. It's probably going to be all right. Probably. In the entire lifetime that Jackie, explorer through the wastes of time and space, experienced in between that block falling off the table and that block going on his head, right? what happened is so disturbing that it's almost difficult to approach how to describe it. I assume, and obviously we don't have access to this, because Anne and Suzanne only hint at it obliquely through a glass, darkly, but I assume that in this universe he became an explorer, Uh, somebody looking for... New realms of consciousness, new realms of experience. He was exploring ways of increasing his pain and increasing his pleasure, just having different kinds of experience as he walked through the landscape of this alien universe not quite like our own. Yeah. This adjacent universe. And at some point, Tanner, I assume he must have happened upon a
0: puzzle box. Blip. <sighs> Jackie Radowski found himself in Germany, where I am now, Jack. Mm-hmm. 1915. While fighting on the front lines, he found this puzzle box. An unassuming wooden puzzle box. Mm-hmm. But as an explorer, I imagine. Well, he's a curious man. Mm-hmm. He brings it back to his tent, his little pup tent. He's an American soldier. He doesn't have accommodations here. He's fighting the war. Mm-hmm. War is hell. But he's, he's he's drawn in by this puzzle box, you know, he's curious yeah. about it.
1: It's funny that he thinks war is hell, because what he's about to experience will make war
0: seem like a, a dance in the park. <sighs> Little does he know as he solves this puzzle box. He doesn't know what it's called. He doesn't know that it has a name, he doesn't know that it has a reputation. But you know, Baby Nation, you know. You know. You know it, Baby Nation, as the lament configuration. <laughs>
1: You solved the box. We came. Now you must come with us. Taste
0: our pleasures. He solves the puzzle and he is drawn into this world of pain and pleasure like no one has ever experienced. And Jack, Uh I hate to take off the pants and jacket and expose myself, Uh but I'm literally reading the Wikipedia entry for the Clive Barker film Hellraiser right now. Uh Can I just quickly read you a chapter? Please. Pinhead was born Elliot Spencer and opened the Lament Configuration after becoming disenchanted with human life from his service in World War I. Like the other Cenobites, he lost all memory of his human identity following the transformation and serves the deity Leviathan. What? By abducting others who solve the Lament Configuration. What? And tortures them in a labyrinth realm called Hell.
1: I did not know that little piece of the Hellraiser mythology.
0: Baby Nation, Jack and I like to talk about the Hellraiser mythology for some reason quite a bit. (laughs) But neither of us are Hellraiser experts, and this is news to both of us, that the dark god of the Hellraiser universe is called the the Leviathan. Leviathan.
1: My God, It's it's just all in the fucking text, Tanner. It's all in the text. And now we have this, you thought Pinhead was scary? He just, I don't know how he became Pinhead, but I imagine it involved jamming a lot of fucking pins in his head. Now we have Blockhead.
0: Hey, look at me. I'm a Blockhead. You know what's scary but understandable? Yeah. Pins being inserted to your head. It's like, (sighs) ouch, that would hurt. But like, pins are sharp. I get how they end up in your head. You know what I can't even conceive of being in your head? Blocks. Blocks. Mr. Blockhead. Mr. blockhead. I'm Mr.
1: Blockhead. Don't they have a guy who puts a DVD in his head in one of the later Hellraiser movies? <laughs>
0: I think it's a it's a CD, but yeah. And he <laughs> shoots Well, and much like the this Cenobite Blockhead? Yeah. D, the CD the I don't know remember what his name is. He's yeah. got a dumb name. It's like CD Head. Yeah. He shoots CDs out of his head. Yeah. And uses them to decapitate people in Hellraiser 3: Hell on Earth. Yeah. Where the Cenobites all emerge from hell and take over Earth. And that's what Blockhead does in this text. He fires blocks from his head to minorly injure young girls. Well, and we get it, Anne and Suzanne.
1: You love to tie the Hellraiser mythos into these novels, into your great sitter cycle. But I think we were both shocked to find you doing it with our beloved Jackie Rudowski.
0: Mm. Jack um. I tell you what If I became a Cenobite My name would be mm-hmm. Brothead. <laughs> Tanner's taking another bite of brot Because I am loving this brot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like the least intimidating Cenobite of all time It's like what does he do <laughs> he, <I> just, <laughs> just, he eats a lot of brot. Jack sorry <laughs> one of the Cenobites is called Butterball <laughs> And his whole thing is just like He's slightly more overweight than the other Cenobites Yeah uh, Cenobites are dumb Baby Nation, sorry. Um, Cenobites are not dumb, Tanner. They're good. (laughs) They're pretty dumb. (laughs) But (laughs) shoot CDs out of his face. I'm glad that we both
1: were able to interpret that from what Anne and Suzanne were doing. Yeah, I'm proud of us. We have a new Cenobite. His name is Blockhead. Jackie Rudowski. God, does he remember this
0: shit? He probably remembers this shit. No, no, no. Jack, I can tell you right now. Yeah. Like the other Cenobites. Yeah. Elliot Spencer lost all memory of his human identity following the transformation that caused him to serve the Leviathan.
1: So you think Jackie, when he comes back to Stony Brook, he blips back. He has no recollection of... Not this one. Ugh. Not this one. Well, that's probably for the best. I guess these are books for, like, younger than teens.
0: Yeah, obviously Anne and Suzanne want to introduce them to the world of Cenobites. Right. But they don't want to, like... Throw them into the deep end.
1: Yeah. So it's fine to learn about the realm of pleasure and pain beyond human capacity for understanding yeah. and the extreme mortification of the flesh that makes you forget right. who you are. But you want to think that Jackie Rudowski has forgotten that when he comes back to Stony Brook. If you're a if you're a tween I think
0: you want if you're if you're a parent yeah. and you want to teach your kids about the Leviathan and serving the Leviathan, which obviously you do. Yeah, at some age. This is a good way to do it.
1: No, that's true. Yeah, and a
0: progressive parent is going to
1: say, like, they're going to find out about it some way, and I don't want them to find out about it by, like, discovering the fucking
0: lament configuration on their way home from school. Oh my god,
1: yeah, right? <laughs> I want them to find out about it by having the
0: talk. Listen, I hope they become a Cenobite someday. Obviously, yeah. that's every parent's dream. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I want them to do it on their own terms. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Tanner, may I ask you a question that is unrelated Mm. to the previous topic? Mm. Uh, Did you this week have a...
0: You want me to do it? Yep. I'd like to hear your Burn the Week this week, Tanner. Dawn is coming to town. Mm -hmm. Sharon and Richard and Marianne are preparing for her visit. They're all very excited for her to come. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Sharon stuck her head in the kitchen doorway. (laughs) I'm off to the nutrition center, she reported, brightly. I want to make sure I have all the things Don and Jeff like. Do either of you want me to pick up anything? Dad and I shot one another a look, like there was even a chance. No, dear, Dad said, suppressing a smile. I don't think there's anything Mary and I require from the nutrition center. (laughs) (laughs) Dad or
1: I could never feel that that was also my... (laughs) burn of the week this week because there is only one burn in this book
0: and that was it
1: (laughs) you know what else marianne and dad do this week that's similarly not that cool to dawn and miss schaefer let me redo this fucking passage one tiny benefit of dawn's leaving is that now dad and i rule the kitchen did you make it with beef or tofu i asked concerned that the answer might be tofu dad tries to be fair to sharon both He replied, getting up from the couch. Okay, I thought. Fair is fair. I'd pick out the tofu. Sharon would pick out the beef. Dad would eat both, (laughs) and we'd all eat vegetables. Fuck you, Marianne, and fuck you, Mr. Spear. Because it's different for a vegetarian to pick out the beef from your beef soup than it is for a meat
0: eater to fucking pick out the tofu that you don't like. Fuck you. I'm not even a vegan, but the idea of like something cooked with beef is like, oh, I can't
1: eat that. We've done a good job of reading an entire Marianne book without laying into her. Yeah. But that
0: sucked. Yeah, that sucked. Shame on you, Richard Spear, and shame on you, Marianne. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, Live your life. Live your life. Just don't force non-meat eaters to eat meat.
1: I think, Tanner, can I ask you a question? Do you think Suzanne Wayne writes the California Diaries books? Because we haven't talked too much about the B-plot, but in some ways the B-plot is one big advertisement for the California Diaries like the premise is that Dawn in her school which is called Vista in California the 8th graders hang with the high schoolers yeah unlike it's- stony brook where the eighth graders hang with the middle schoolers and so Dawn is like i'm growing apart my friends do drugs and have car crashes and stuff right and like she can't quite connect with the bsc well and she's becoming
0: more and more insufferable yeah we just did a long tangent where we defended vegans and vegetarians yeah but Dawn literally could not sit at the restaurant at the mall and watch Marianne and Logan eat meat, she was like, I'm not going to sit and watch you carnivores devour carrion. Which is equivalently
1: obnoxious. Right. (laughs) To like putting beef in a soup for a vegetarian being like, just pick out the beef.
0: (laughs) God, if that's what the California Diaries are, Don just being like precious about watching people eat meat, I have zero interest in the California
1: Diaries. I'm actually on the Wikipedia page for the California Diaries and I have learned something and I want to revise my theory. Okay. The California Diaries were ghostwritten by Peter Larangis. Whoa. One was written by Nola Thacker. And then <gasps> one of them was written by someone called Jean Betancourt. I cannot wait to figure out who that
0: is. Wait, but we, have we read a Gene Betancourt book before? Oh I don't know, man. Has she been a, a one-time ghostwriter for BSC? She wrote the special Christmas. She
1: wrote this special <sighs> Christmas, Jean That's Bencourt. That's where I've
0: heard the name Jean Bencourt. She's a real ghostwriter. <sighs> yeah. Oh, interesting. I wish we had time to delve into her. It's like we've discovered a new elder god in, the, in the, like, the, the depths of the ocean, this fish-like slime
1: monster. And we just were not allowed to go deeper because we would go crazy. Yeah, it's like if yeah. you'd seen Yog sothoth for the first time and someone was like, yeah. you know what? Maybe another day. No,
0: no, no time.
1: <laughs> no time. I think
0: that... It is the middle of a work day, after all, Baby Nation.
1: (laughs) I think that Anne and Pete and Nola are punishing Suzanne by making her put California Diaries plugs into this
0: book. Oh, sure.
1: There's a passage later on where Dawn is buying gifts, and it says the following. Dawn bought a book on modern art for her friend Amalia. She found a framed black and white photo of ducks on a lake at sunset for her pal Ducky. I've never heard of those girls. They're girls from the California Diaries they sound cool as hell they sound super sophisticated amalia and ducky but so ann and pete and fucking nola were like suzanne you got to plug the california diaries even though we didn't invite you and what does suzanne do she's like okay i will but don's gonna be fucking insufferable
0: right You know what? Good for you, Suzanne, for standing your ground. Stand up
1: for yourself, Suzanne. Tanner, I was thinking we should get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Jackie, let's
0: get the fuck out of here.
1: Tanner, thank you for joining me, Baby Nation. Thank you for bearing with us. Baby Nation, please, please, please take a moment and... Actually, you know
0: what? Buy some of our merch. Oh, buy the merch, Baby Nation. You must. Bit.ly slash BSCC merch. You have to. so good. Two shirts, two pins... Buy both the pins, because Jack and I are currently have a pitched contest against one another Yeah, to see whose pin sells the most. Yeah, buy both of them,
1: so that that doesn't kind of metastasize. Yeah. Uh, And buy both the shirts, you know, or buy one of the shirts. (laughs) Buy them both, whatever you can afford. You're spending the money. Get it for a friend. (laughs) Baby Nation, you must do that. We demand that you do that. We require that you do that. Is that legally binding?
0: I think so. You're not allowed to listen to the podcast anymore unless you buy merch. Yep. Only if you can afford it, though. Obviously, we're not being dicks.
1: Yeah, if you can't afford it, that's totally fine. If you can't afford it, you know what's free? Rating on iTunes. Right? Yeah, that's free. That's free. I think
0: well, no, you have to have a computer. Yeah. So it's not free. But go, go to, to the, the public library. library. Yeah. Yeah,
1: rate and review there. Yeah, maybe you'll run into the Leviathan. Um, share this podcast with a friend, Baby Nation. This week, we read a book. It was called The Secret Life of Marianne Spear. Next week, we're reading a book called Jesse's Big break oh god i hope she doesn't break her fucking leg that's already happened once they wouldn't, to Claudia. They wouldn't
0: repeat old <laughs> plot points jack that's unheard of in these books <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're gonna be reading that next week and by next week we mean in two days so oh, i'll yeah. still be here in berlin yep baby nation this week i have been jack
1: alexander shepherd i am dan greening and have been this week baby nation round off the corners in your bedroom drown all your dolls Watch out for the elder god, Snob. <laughs> uh-huh. Call your senator and demand your right to bear time, and do not forget to let Daddy love you as much as I do, baby nation. Remember the Delinis. Remember by Nova. And take your dream horse through that maze. This is getting kind of unwieldy, but Claudia's wearing a bra now, and the way she talks, you would think the boys had just been invented.
0: Juice, juice, juicy. We have a very special treat for you in the outro this week.
1: Yeah, we're not going to do a
0: dumb fucking outtake from us.
1: Like, th- this podcast is already us being dumb and fucking things up. And then the outro is usually us fucking things up even more and so much so that we didn't include it in the episode. Right. Well, this week, it's the opposite of that because Baby B Jose and Baby B Dana. Mm-hmm. Fucking recorded a fucking musical.
0: <laughs> yeah, they recorded a full song. Yeah, for us about the Babysitters Club. It's and it called, more specifically about the Babysitters Club. Club.
1: Yep, yeah, it's called Marianne and Logan the Musical, and it is a wonderful piece of art. And I am delighted to introduce it to you. Now. I am thirteen. Going on 13, never to age a day Better beware, the snake's drawing near I'm stealing your heart away You are 13, going on 13, ready to rule your life Unlike my father, he's such a bother He only sees his dead wife Totally unprepared am I to face your demon's lies. Break up your club and steal your cat. All while you're by my side. I need someone dibbly and distant
0: telling me what to do. Shit, no, wait, I'm 13, I'll take care of you. Good thing one of us remembered that, Jack. That was a HeadGum
1: Podcast.